Well, it is always an honor to be with you, church, and it's an honor to be with you this morning. Like Dale said, we are continuing in our series, Future Church. Every week, we are taking a challenge that we face as a culture, and we are laying out a vision for the kind of alternative that Jesus gives us in this society to move towards him, to be a community following him and the way he does life. So today, we are going to be looking at being a community of rest, in a culture of exhaustion through the practice of Sabbath. And I can tell by the mmms that I just heard that we're ready to talk about that. So will you pray with me and then we will jump in. Jesus, we need your rest. We confess that uh, we are entering this building, entering this space, sitting in our homes, and that there are things that we're still holding on to from our weeks that we desperately need you to hold on to for us. And God, I ask that this morning you would give me the words you want to say to us about that, that we would feel your hands reaching out, taking those burdens off of us, and instead giving us the gift of your rest. Jesus, would you quiet our minds? Would you calm our hearts? Would you fill this space with the, the peace, the life, and the rest that your spirit brings? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, I'm gonna tell you guys a little secret. If ever you are asked to teach at church, it is extremely highly likely that whatever you are being asked to teach on is something that God really wants to show you about yourself. <laughs> and so I can tell you that the last few weeks, God has really been um, putting his finger on just how bad at rest I am. Because if I'm being totally honest with you, I am really tired. And I would imagine you are too. Aren't you tired? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am tired of being at my house all the time. I am tired that the one hour I'm not at my house, I'm usually spending reparking my car. <laughs> I'm tired of not seeing my friends and my family or my desk clump at my office. I am tired of not getting to cook with our youth and run around the fellowship hall, breaking everything, which we didn't ever do, but if we did, I would miss that. Um, I'm just tired. <laughs> I'm, I'm physically tired. I'm emotionally tired. I am mentally tired. I'm spiritually tired. And I, I know that that's not just me. And actually, I think if we're really honest, we're not even just tired. We're just like burnt out. We're exhausted. And I, I like, okay, just so we're all on the same page, what is burnout? Like it's actually been around a very long time. In the Middle Ages, they referred to it as neurasthenia. So like, it's been around, but it was like around the 70s that it started being used as a, a psychological diagnosis, and Herbert Freudenberger, so you know he's legit, <laughs> defined it as physical or mental collapse caused by overwork or stress. Yes. Uh, author Helen Peterson differentiates burnout from exhaustion. She says, exhaustion means going to the point where you can't go any further, Burnout means reaching that point and pushing yourself past it, going whether it's for days or weeks or years. In summation, it's when your soul can no longer bear the weight of your life. 
And man, that is how I feel. Um, you could ask, how did we get here? I don't actually think I need to tell you because we all know, but just so we can like all get on the same page. Yes, we've had a year of a pandemic. So if you weren't burnt out, 2020 pretty much did it to you. But we were burnt out before that. This is like our fifth or sixth sermon on Sabbath in a few years. We are tired. <laughs> we've been tired. If you live in a city like San Francisco, you're always running at this pace. Again, Helen Peterson writes in an article about um, how millennials specifically have kind of found themselves here. She kind of lays out like the economic process. Most of us, most of our church is our millennials. So we, most of us were raised in a society where economically we were doing pretty well. Our parents were doing well. There was stability, there was growth. And there was this kind of understanding explicitly or implicitly said to us that, and you will do even better than we did. And then most of us entered the workforce after a horrible financial crisis and realized that is not true. But, you know, like millennials, we get a hard time, like we all get our participation trophy. Listen, we worked hard for them. And so we come to the workforce and we're like, well, okay, we've got to hustle and like cobble together success for ourselves because we have to live up to like, you will do better. And as Matt beautifully taught last week, we just spawned this workforce driven by careerism, putting in insane hours every week, piles of unused unlimited PTO, which by the way, I don't know how that's a thing. <laughs> this idea of unlimited PTO that you don't ever use, I could not be trusted with that. The fact that that exists tells you we have a problem. But we just drive and drive, constantly going to the next opportunity, the next step, the next better thing. But that's not just our workforce. Ask parents in our church what it's like to get your kids in good schools here. Ask them what it's like to have a car you can fit your whole family in and have a place you can park it. Ask them what it's like when they need to start to figure out if they should give up their rent-controlled apartment because they can't put their fourth kid in the same bedroom anymore. We're all hustling. Ask a single person in our church what it's like to date here. Ask them about things like the third day rule. <laughs> Ask them about what it's like when you have a whole list of places you cannot go on first dates because you cannot ruin half of the city for yourself. <laughs> Ask them what it's like to be in the dating pool with some of the most driven, visionary, successful, beautiful humans on the planet. We are all hustling like crazy. We are tired. I am tired. And then, we got a pandemic where all of this got pushed into our bedrooms and the doors got locked. We were this far away from our screens all the time, left like punished there by some mysterious disease that we had no idea how exactly it worked. And when we turned on our screens, it was constant, horrible bad news. Divisive elections, insane, intense racial reckoning that was ongoing and so long coming. Just like constant grief. So yeah, we're burnt out because we didn't have the option to not keep going. Didn't matter what happened on Wednesday. On Thursday morning, you had to wake up and turn your computer on and go to work. That's the water we're in. And I think Helen Peterson says it so beautifully. She says, burnout isn't a place to visit and come back from. It is our permanent residence. Yeah, that's, that's so that's where I'm at. And I, I mean, I can actually say this now because people here, can you raise your hand if you resonate with any of that? 
Okay, good. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be like, I need to adjust real quick. <laughs> We're tired. We're exhausted. And somehow in the middle of that, we are invited to be a community of rest, creating a different and alternative option to that world that Jesus offers. How? And so today, my hope is that we'll be able to explore some of that because that is God's heart to give us relief, solace, rest from all of that. And I want to acknowledge that um, I just like really stirred up a lot of stuff. And if like your like neck is like a little bit clenched right now, if your fists have gotten tighter, if your heart has started racing, if you need to take a minute and text your therapist and be like, can we meet this week? I get it. I want to take a minute and I want us to collectively as a community just exhale. And I'll, I'll invite us to do it together in a second, but as we do, I want to invite you to take whatever has kind of come up and to, like, in your mind, place it in the hands of God, entrusting those things, those burdens, those exhaustions to him. And then we are going to dive into what he has to say about his promise of rest for us. So here in this room at home, will you just take a deep breath with me? <sighs> Lord, have mercy on our weary souls. Okay? We're going to keep going. <laughs> now, rest is woven deeply into the story of God. You cannot get two chapters into God's story without running into it, which should be a real comfort to us, right? First chapter of Genesis, God creates the earth. We get to Genesis 2, I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished all the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God spends six days and creates, designs, problem solves, builds, engineers, like art, arts, oh, there's got to be a verb form of that, but <laughs> creates art. He does all of this work and, he, and each along the way, it is good, it is good, it is good. And he gets to day seven and he, the Hebrew word that is used here is where we get the word Sabbath, it's Shabbat, it means to cease. He gets to day seven and he ceases, surrounded by all that he's made. And I think about like what happens when I build kitchen chairs, okay? And I'm like hovering over them for hours and there's like sweat and I'm like FaceTiming my dad, the different angles and surus and I'm like, what tool do I use for this? And I finish and I'm like, look what I've done. It's like, look at my creation. I take, like I send pictures to everybody I know. I imagine that God has a lot more to be proud of and just basks, like sits surrounded by his handiwork ceased, quiet, in awe of all he's done. And he doesn't say it's good. He says it is holy. And the word used here for holy is kadosh. It means to be sanctified, to be set apart. God is saying this, this is so far beyond good. Like this is, it is, it's set apart. Abraham Heschel wrote a beautiful book on Sabbath. And in it, he says to the philosopher, the idea of good is the most exalted idea. But in the Bible, the idea of good is penultimate. It cannot exist without the holy. The good is the base. The holy is the summit. 
And I love this because this is how we think, right? We have good days, we have good moments, but we have like mountaintop experiences, right? These like life-changing moments. These moments that just like everything in the world was perfect. Your soul just felt completely satisfied. Everything moved a little slower. Maybe it was like the day your child was born. Maybe it was the day you got your dream job. Maybe it was the day you got married. Maybe it was the day you got a puppy. Like, I don't know what that, maybe for you, it was just like that one Saturday that you were in the park with your friends and like the sun hit the trees just the right way. And like the song, that's like your jam was playing on the speaker and like the charcuterie board was just like perfect. And like, you can go back to that moment and like, and in your head, you're like, I think this is what heaven might be like. It's just perfect. Like your soul is at rest. That this is what God, like this is the moment God captures. This is holy. When you think Sabbath, when you think God resting, think that kind of moment. And God knows that this kind of rest is not just good, is so holy, so perfect, and so necessary for his people that when he forms a way of life for them, a way that they will be able to live, to be close with him, to be recognizable as his when he gives them the law, he's gonna codify that kind of rest into their law, into their way of living. In Exodus, it's, it's one of the 10 commandments. It's like number three. In Deuteronomy, God says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. God says, you were slaves. You did not get rest. But you are my people now. You are with me. My people do what I do. I work, I cease, and I rest. You are my people, you are gonna work, then you are going to cease, and you're gonna rest. I'm gonna give you my Sabbath. It is my gift to you. Keep it, make it holy by keeping it. This is in direct opposition to the slavery that they've just been under. This is, so, and it's not, so it's not just like counter-cultural and like just a blatant like, I'll show you from God, but it's going to be what makes them, rec one of the 10 things that makes them recognizable to the nations. These are a people who follow the one true God and are at rest. Like that's gonna be a signaling to the rest of the world of who they are. It's like pretty powerful. <laughs> and this rhythm of life that God has formed and invited his people into is gonna continue in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Now we talk a lot about Jesus and the way that he rested his rhythms of life. Um, Jesus actually referred to himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. So I mean, clearly like he, you know, he knows what he's talking about with it. Jesus regularly retreated during seasons of heavy work. We, uh, we remember like our, his famous story of sleeping on a boat during a storm. And he's constantly having to come up against the expectations of how to live and the pacing of his family, his friends, and the religious institution. I think about when Lazarus died, that when Jesus gets to his family's house, Lazarus' family says, like, if you had only hurried up and gotten here sooner. When Jesus uh, was criticized for his behavior on the Sabbath, he said to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man not man to fill the requirements of the Sabbath. Jesus refused to bend to the pace and the culture around him. He would not. He maintained and fought for keeping rest as a part of the rhythm of his life. 
Now, during Holy Week, we, we pace up with him. We remember what happened as Jesus made his way to the cross. And like Tyler said, this is Palm Sunday. We remember that Jesus enters Jerusalem on Thursday. We'll remember Passover, Maundy Thursday. We'll remember Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, looking back to slavery in Egypt and being delivered, looking ahead to the cross. And on Good Friday, we'll remember that Jesus made his way to the cross, was put up on the cross and died. And on Easter Sunday, we're gonna celebrate because that's not the end of the story, because he's alive. But we skip over Saturday, Holy Saturday. And this is, it's Sabbath. Saturday is Sabbath. And this is what I wanna look at for just a second. In Luke, it says he went to Pilate, he is uh, Joseph, one of, Jesus, one of Jesus's followers, and asked for Jesus's body. He took the body down from the cross, he wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth, and he laid in it he laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. And as his body was taken away, the woman from Galilee followed, saw the tomb where his body was placed, then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. By the time they had finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. Jesus' followers are heartbroken, they're devastated, they're confused. Like everything they had just put all of their hope in just came crashing down around them. And now, in an effort to pay him respect, in an effort to do all that they could that was left of their salvation in their minds, they are racing against the sun to lay him to rest. But Sabbath comes and they stop. And Jesus, like his father before him, lays upon the completion of his work, stopped, rested, quiet, still in the grave. Rest is not just deeply woven into Jesus' life, it's woven into his death. I, I like think about this moment, or I like just these, these two kind of parallel moments that the beginning of God, at the beginning of God's story, creation, God works, he says it is good, and he rests. And we get to this moment, and Jesus does his work, says it is finished, and rests. Um, during pandemic, I've gotten really into plants which I know like everybody has, but I'm special, I think, and I have gotten into plants. Uh, and I, I've learned a lot from plants. I have learned a lot, particularly from one plant. Um, I, was, I was gifted this little baby Monstera propagation, um, which Monsteras are like the big, beautiful plants that you see on Instagram all the time. So I was very excited to like be a good plant mom to this little baby Monstera, like take good care of it, make sure it goes to a good college, like all the right things. And um, I was like a few weeks into having this guy and he just didn't look good. And I immediately felt all the shame of like, what have I done? Like I was entrusted with you and now you're like so pathetic looking. And I'm like Googling like crazy, like how to save a Monstera. And like, I tried everything. I snipped one of his leaves. I like every surface in my house has seen this thing for like different angles of sun. I at one point had it like propped up so that the sun was hitting the dirt, not the top, like just to make sure it could dry out right. Like, I really tried, I repotted it, and eventually I got to the point where I was like, this thing is dead, and I just have to accept it and move on. And then I told myself, no, 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 give it one week, okay? One week and you're not allowed to touch it. 
put it, just leave it alone, and you'll come back to it. And if it's still dead, then yes, you can throw it away. So I waited a week, put it on the counter, and I waited. And I went back after a week, and maybe it was like my optimism, but I was like, I think you look a little greener. Like, <laughs> are you standing up a little straighter? Okay, I'm gonna give you one more week. Just like a little bit, maybe, maybe you just needed two weeks. And honestly, at the end of the second week, I kind of forgot I was even like watching it and just kind of left it alone. And um, then a few weeks later, I was in my living room and I'm like doing my workout and I'm like punching the air really hard. And my gaze, like just so, I do punch the air very hard. I, I, I got some laughs and I just feel like I need to explain. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm like going for it and my gaze just like shifts a little bit to the side and I stopped what I was doing and I immediately created this Instagram story. <laughs> Wait for it. Wait for it. That's okay. The anticipation builds. We'll get there, we'll get there. <laughs> Does anybody have any jokes? <laughs> no, it's okay. What? Can you show us the air? What? Can you show us the air? No. <laughs> can you, can I, oh, okay. Wait for it. <laughs> Look at it! <laughs> That was the proudest moment of my life. <laughs> um, I literally, fist in the air, was like, I saved you, I did it. And the irony is, I did nothing. Rest is required for new life. New life comes when there is rest. And like a seed that is planted, buried, hidden under the earth, then breaks through with new life. Jesus, alive outside the grave on Sunday morning, is God's glorious, unexpected, world-changing declaration that where there is rest, there will be new life. God worked, he rested. Jesus worked, he rested. You and I were made to work, and you and I were made to rest. So how do we do that? Because I think we're all like, yeah, I want that new life. Give it to me, please. I'm just like ready for it. How, how do I get it? Well, God's answer to that is Sabbath. He says, you need rest. I give you my Sabbath. So how do we receive that? This regular rhythm of rest in our weeks. He literally explained it quite like, you will work for six days. On the seventh day, you will not work. It's very plain, but for some reason, here we are still trying to figure this out. So how do we say yes to this gift? So just nuts and bolts, as a rule of life for our community, we have like we defined Sabbath as a time set aside, whether it's a meal or a full 24 hours or something in between, where you intentionally do not work. You don't think about work, you don't talk about work, where you are at rest, where you practice gratitude and delight in God. And you might be saying like, that sounds really easy. I, that, I can do that, no problem. No, it's hard, it's very hard. We're all still here exhausted. Clearly it's not that easy. 
We're struggling with this. Rest is hard, ironically. Sabbath keeping is hard. It's against all of our enculturation to stop and put our work down. It just fights every bone of our trained beings. So practically, we're going to look at some things that we can do to move towards rest and some things that rest will do to us. And it's going to be very easy for you to remember and to follow because this is a well-written sermon where all the things are three and they start with the same letter, okay? So, through Sabbath, we remember, we are reformed, and we are restored. Three. First, we remember. This one's actually really easy because this is the command. You shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's what God said. So on Sabbath, we remember. Again, uh, Abraham Heschel, who wrote this beautiful book, he talks about Sabbath as a sacred time where um, like, we have the temple where it is a sacred place. Sabbath is a sacred time. He actually calls it a palace in time. And I just love that imagery because like, when you walk around a palace, as we all do, like, don't you, <laughs> you just like, you, adm- you walk slowly, you like admire the walls and the art and the fixtures and the sound of your feet hitting the marble and echoing through its cavernous hallways. Again, I spend many, many hours in palaces. I can imagine though that if I did, this is what it would be like. Sabbath is slow, it's deliberate, it's mindful, it's intentional and attentive and aware. And as we move through our Sabbath, we reflect on our week like a palace, thinking about all that God has done, remembering how he has moved, acknowledging the places we ache, the heartbreak we have seen, the exhaustion we feel. And as we move slowly through this palace in time, we're able to like process and acknowledge and celebrate and mourn all that is coming into the Sabbath day with us. Um, when I was growing up, Sabbath was a, a fairly regular part of the rhythm of our life because I grew up in a Jewish community that also followed Jesus. And the rhythms of our week were set to Judaism. So in Judaism, on Sabbath, which is Saturday, we go to congregation or to church. So Friday night starts Sabbath, and we, have, we call it Shabbat. We have a Shabbat dinner. We light the Shabbat candles as an acknowledgement that God's presence is with us as we begin this sacred day. We bless the time. We bless all the things. <laughs> we pray. We eat. We celebrate. We go to sleep. We wake up Saturday morning, and we go to our congregation, to synagogue. And we get there, and all of our community is there, and the friends and family, and we worship, and we read God's word. And after we have our Shabbat service, we have Oneg. And Oneg, it literally means pleasure or delight. And it's food. Everyone just brings food. And we just sit around and eat at Oneg. And usually it's bagels and lox because that is complete delight and pleasure. (laughs) And it's just like the perfect, slow, wonderful, everyone's together sharing about their weeks and lives time. At the end of Shabbat, we have something called Havdalah. And Havdalah, it means uh, separation. We have another candle. And when we light it, we say a blessing over it. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who distinguishes between the six days and the seventh for rest. Who distinguishes between the ordinary and the holy. And we take this candle and we turn it upside down and put it out in a kiddush cup, a cup of wine. And it's this picture of our, our holy, separate day going to rest, like going to end, stopping. And we return to our ordinary week. 
It's this embodied practice process of settling, resting, stopping, and then re-entering, refreshed, rested. Sabbath reminds us to remember with our minds, our bodies, our souls, our communities, that God has filled our weeks with six days to pour into our work and a seventh day to worship, delight, rest, and be poured into by the Holy Spirit. Remember, two, Sabbath will reform us. It will reform our rest. We'll get to that in a minute, but it will actually reform our work. Walter Brueggemann writes, Sabbath is an act of trust in the subversive God, an act of submission to the restful God. Sabbath is a practical divestment so that neighborly engagement rather than production and consumption defines our lives. Just like God giving the people of Israel Sabbath was pushing back on the culture of Egypt, today, Sabbath is a gift to us, a way of us to push back on the notion that we have to hustle, a notion that we have to work harder than anybody else. God says, no, you don't. (laughs) Choosing to put our work down reforms our relationship to what we create. It consents to the truth that even our work is not our own. It is an entrustment. It does not define our existence. It actually enables us to engage with the existence of others and the work that God is up to. It also pushes back on the notion that we can save the world. I think back to Jesus' followers trying to prepare his body for burial. This was a very time-sensitive job. (laughs) And when Sabbath came, they stopped their work incomplete and rested. Sabbath is a practical divestment. It is an intentional and active choosing to put down what our culture will not. It it allows us to release and entrust to God our work instead of our own hands. It's a form, it's God's form of resistance. Sabbath will also reform our rest. Here's what Sabbath is not. It is not me time, It's not lazy, it's not self-care Saturday, it's not a Netflix binge night. (laughs) Sabbath is pouring in, not vegging out. There's a place for vegging out, okay? Like I'm not saying you can't turn on the office and just like, that's your night. That's a fine thing, but not for Sabbath. Sabbath is something different. Sabbath is a place where we foster life. Just like God, surrounded by all that he created, just like basking in it. It's a place that we live fully, not into our doing, but into our being. We get to live and thrive in a space filled with what God is doing and where he is and who he is. Sabbath is personal, but it is not private. It's not solitude. Solitude is solitude. (laughs) Being with God and God alone. Sabbath is stopping our work and delighting in God's good creation, which is people, other people, Jesus, when we see the way that he observed Sabbath, he was not alone. He was always with people. Even God, when he rested, waited until after he made the people to rest. If God wanted alone time, he would have swapped those. (laughs) He would have been like, okay, day six, we're gonna take a break. Then once I'm totally refueled, I'm gonna make people so I can deal with them. That's not what he did. 
He wanted to be fully with them. He invites us into that on our rest to be with people. So practically, how do we start to move into taking action on Sabbath? Well, that's like a bad turn of phrase for that, but how do we start to exist in Sabbath? And we're gonna talk more about this on the podcast this week. Like David's been saying, like these are all like 30 sermons crammed into one. So like the podcasts are really gonna help fill them out. So listen to the podcast this week. But here's just three quick practical tips for Sabbathing. One, one, you should have a list of things that are life-giving, not a mental list. You need to have a written list somewhere. Because remember, you enter Sabbath tired, exhausted, I don't know about you, but when I am mentally, emotionally exhausted, I don't have the energy to try to think of what is good for my soul right now. I only have the energy to reach for the things that are convenient, my phone, my laptop, the remote to my TV. And then it just sucks life out of me. So we should be thinking ahead, having a list of things like that just pour into our lives. Maybe it's being outside, maybe it's sports, maybe it's laying in your hammock, maybe it's taking care of your plants, these are my things now, going to a baseball game. <laughs> Music, dancing, these are the things that just breathe life into my soul. And if I have them written and in my journal, written and up on my refrigerator, when my Sabbath day starts and my exhaustion just does not allow me to think of it, all I have to do is walk up to that list and be like, right there, get in the hammock, let's go. You need to know what gives you life and you should take note of it and you should pursue it. Um, Two, technology, turn it off. Maybe you need to start with just like a half day. Maybe you can do a full day. But on Sabbath, whatever you can do to eliminate the things that mindlessly just rob you of your joy and your life, silence them. Turn your phone off. Put it in a drawer. Put it away. Put your work laptop under your books in a bookshelf. Hide the remote to your Apple TV. (laughs) Do what you have to do to not allow technology to become the convenient go-to of unplugging. And third, um, we've talked about this idea of a Sabbath box and having a box that's in your house with a lid, whereas your your work day on Friday or whatever day you Sabbath is starting to wind down, you are going to put the things that drive you to work, whether it's your laptop, your phone, the plant you can't keep alive, (laughs) whatever it is that takes all of your energy, that it goes in the box and the lid goes on and you put it to rest for a day. And after you are refreshed, you can return to it with more capacity, with refreshment, with delight, and it can return to you with those things as well. Sabbath box. And I know you might be thinking, I do not have a box big enough (laughs) for the things I'd like to put in it. That's okay, you can write on a piece of paper, representation of that thing, and it goes in the box, okay? Finally, Sabbath will restore us. Our world is heavy. You don't even have to be working for this world to be heavy right now. Every day, this week, are you kidding? It's just, whoa, what an exhausting thing to be alive right now. (laughs) Sabbath is the gift of getting to find delight in the midst of that. In Isaiah, it says, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, then you will find your joy in the Lord. I think of like a child being handed a giant box on their birthday and as they tear the wrapping paper off, their eyes just get bigger and bigger because like here's the thing they've been waiting for and like their face is just so like widespread and smile, you think it'll tear off and there's the delight over being given this gift that this is what God has given us. It makes no sense in our world for us to have rest 
and we have been given it freely if we'll just receive it. As we delight, as we feast, as we play, we are refreshed. We choose the joy of the Lord as our strength and we refuse the burden of exhaustion. We set our pace to God's pace because that was the way we were designed to be, his pace, the way he lived. Now we've talked a lot about Jesus and his rhythms of rest, um, but it's interesting when we look at what Jesus actually did on, on the Sabbath. Those were, they were not like chill, quiet days for him. He was traveling, he was teaching, he was healing. And there's one story of him um, about to heal a man and he sees some Pharisees kind of like lingering at a distance and knowing their thoughts, they didn't say anything, he's just all up in their brains. He hears their thoughts and he says to them, he like turns to them, which just like picture this, it's like such a mic drop moment. He turns to them and he's like, I'm gonna ask you a question. Is it better to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to destroy it? And they have nothing to say to that because, duh. And he heals this man. The fact that Jesus heals on the Sabbath tells us explicitly that the Sabbath is not a passive day of observation, but it is a proactive day of restoration. When Jesus was here, he said, this is a day where I will save life, where I will heal it and restore it. Sabbath gives us room and time and support to grieve and process and to rebuild. It is a place where we can find comfort, where our wounds and our grief and exhaustion can be held and met and healed. Now, um, I am sure that there is a sense that this all feels like a lot of work. Because going to our phones is just way easier. It is. But I think about what it's like when you have like a little injury that you can probably just like walk off, ignore it, it'll be fine, and we just kind of, whatever, I'll be fine. And we don't deal with it. And years down the road, it turns into like full-on knee replacement or worse. And um, if we had only just paid attention to that little weird wonky thing, what we could have been spared down the line. I'm telling you that none of us can live at this pace. And you know that, we feel it. We're like, we're struggling. It's hard. I know it might feel easier to just keep doing what you're doing because you've got a system and it's working for you right now. When we get out of this pandemic, then I'll think about rest. Jesus has offered you life, rest right now. And actually, I'm gonna tell you straight from his mouth what he says to you. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I am gentle, I am humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He offers it to you now. He says, you are going to be recognizable as my people because in this world that is exhausted, you will find rest. It is my gift to you. This is God's heart for us. 
This is God's design for us. It is his gift to us. We are invited to come face to face with the Lord of the Sabbath. And when we do, we are promised his rest. Will you pray with me? God, when we handed you our burdens, our exhaustion, our, the weight of our souls 30 minutes ago, we, we needed you to hold that for us. And God, in this moment, we say we need you to keep holding that for us. We actually need you to take those things and to have your work over them and to release us from having to have ours over it. Lord, for, those, for us who need rest, who are exhausted, who are too exhausted to even move towards rest, would you be the, the life, the compelling that moves us towards your rest? Would you give us a supernatural ability to say yes and grab a hold of the gift you are giving us? God, would you, would you meet us where we're at and carry us to your rest? And church, I want to invite you to hold your hands open and the things, if there are still things sitting on your chest, still things like racing in your mind, to surrender them, to put them down. And as your hands are open to like receive from God his easy yoke, his gift of total, perfect, delight, restoration, and peace. His gift of rest. God, thank you. We don't deserve this, and you've given it to us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.